the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome into Woods and Water, South Carolina. I hope you are having a great Saturday here in South Carolina. I am not in the studio. I'm I'm going to say this for the last time. I'm at my daughter's wedding today. <laughs> yes, my oldest daughter is getting married to a young man that I fully approve of, that we we think will be a great addition to our family. I, I, it's gonna it's odd having a boy around, to be honest with you, because i got two daughters. Um, I don't know how much help I'm going to get out of him, because he's got enough going on on his own. And I was hoping I'd get somebody to you know go to the farm and work and stuff like that. Poor boy's got enough on his own plate. But it's... Uh, it's change, and change is good, and this is the way life should go. They're starting their their lives together, and, and the rest of us have to adjust our relationship with them. And it's going to be fun. So, you know, if, if next week I'm a basket case, then you know, <laughs> y'all know it didn't go too well today. But uh, anyway, we are, we're we got a great show on tap for today. Steve Ranella from Meat Eater is here with us, or is going to talk to us today. And uh, actually, a conversation we recorded. Uh, just a great guy. Ton of fun to be around to listen to. I encourage you if you've never listened to his podcast or watched episodes of Meat Eater on Netflix, you need to do yourself a favor. Take a little bit of it in. It's uh, it's a fun thing, and and we had a great interview. It's it's one of my favorites that I've done with Steve. And um, I'm going to tease next week's show. We're going to be joined by Scott Laseth, the sporting chef from Folsom, California, who's got a couple of TV shows himself, uh, cooking shows. And we're going to we're going to talk about some cooking. I think we're going to cover some fish and who knows else. He sent me a couple of ideas he wanted to talk about. So next week's show is going to be another good one. Um, and we're not getting away from South Carolina now because a lot of the stuff, you know, it's just it's just outdoors. But the, the Steve Ranella, the outdoors, you can. It's a lot of good information. Scott lays this the stuff we're going to talk about with cooking and all. You can put to use right here in your own backyard, uh, whether you're going fishing on Murray or stripers or crappy trout, whatever. We may get into some deer and who knows what else. Promise you we will not talk about cooking possums. We will not talk about cooking, cooking possums. Uh, but yeah, I got Steve and Scott next week. Uh, today's show at the very end. You're going to hear a little bit from Director Alvin Taylor of the Department of Natural Resources, who retired. I was at the Sassafras Mountain dedication, and he spoke for a few minutes. I thought it only fitting to uh, have him on the show and listen to what his remarks, what a man of vision when it came to a lot of what we enjoy here in South Carolina. And we hope his retirement, he has a great time in it. Very quickly, because I don't have much time in this one, uh, just a reminder, the calendar of events brought to you by Visit Anderson Green Pond Landing and Event Center. You've got a kayak trip with Bamberg County on the South Fork of the Edisto River coming up on June the 1st. The uh, Woodrunner School of Self-Reliance is having a low country shindig, a shindig and low country bowl on June the 1st. And the 10th Annual Saluda River Rally is also June the 1st. All things you need to be involved in. 
And uh, you can go to those websites and check out the details. Uh, and I just threw away the story that I really needed, which was right there. Um, so do yourselves a favor and get out there. You don't make memories sitting on the couch. Trust me. I've been doing a little memory thing with on my daughter and some of the fun things we've done, and none of that stuff would have happened if we'd have been sitting on the couch watching TV or playing video games on whatever day we went out. you got to get out there to have the fun times. From the Department of Natural Resources, biologists are tracking cobia with satellite tags. Uh, they're trying they're to better determine where and when cobia migrate across southeastern coastal waters. And uh, they did a study in a, a, the majority of the cobia that are being caught in all are actually ones that were produced uh, uh, down at Waddell Mariculture Center. So they're trying to get a better, better handle on the cobia situation here in the southeast in South Carolina. So uh, they're using satellite... And acoustic tags, much like what they do with the sharks with O-Search. And uh, the satellite tags will record information about each fish's movements, including depth, water, temperature, and location. That's according to DNR biologist Matt Perkinson. He's the co-principal investigator in the project. The acoustic transmitters, transmitters will provide additional location information by emitting a ping when the cobia travel within a quarter of a mile of an extensive network of listening devices maintained throughout the region. Uh, there's going to be another 20 cobia will also be tagged with just acoustic transmitters in an effort to build on the re- results of a previous cobia tagging project. And um, gosh, it's in conjunction with Federal Fish, Florida Fish and Wildlife Services, Kennedy Space Center Ecological Program, Georgia Department of Natural Resources, and North Carolina, too. Funding comes from the NOAA Cooperative Research Program. What do you do if you catch a tag cobia? Anglers that encounter one of these tag cobia are asked to please use a net or lip gaff, a lip gripping device to land the fish, and then release it if possible. Don't gaff it. I'm sorry. That was a gaff on my part. Use a net or lip gripping device. Uh, each of these fish is contributing information critical to the future of healthy, sustainable cobia populations. If you do accidentally harvest one of these fish, please save the transmitters. Located in the body cavity on the underside of the fish, along with the satellite tag, and contact project biologist Justin Yost at the Department of Natural Resources so they can get all the information they need uh, for this program. Do you worry about, I don't worry about it, about Roundup and all. I mean, it's simply, it's essentially salt compound. But if you want to make your own Roundup here you go. It's weed be gone and it's stuff you buy at the grocery store. You need a gallon of vinegar, two cups of Epsom salt, a quarter cup of Dawn dishwashing soup. Dawn dishwashing soup? What? It says that right here. One quarter cup Dawn dish soup. Somebody did not somebody did not edit or proofread this, and I just read it like, you know, gosh. <laughs> One quarter cup Dawn dish soap. The U should be an A there. The blue original kind, okay? It will kill anything you spray on it. Just mix and spray in the morning after the dew has evaporated. Walk away. Go back after dinner, and the weeds are they're not gone. They're probably going to be dead. They're cheaper than anything you can buy anywhere. Never buy Roundup again. So there you go. That's Dawn dishwash. Soap, not soup. Golly. <laughs> Okay, what else do I have in here? I did track down the Belton story. 
of the $100,000 grant for ADA. We'll get to that. I got a few other things here. But I wanted to, with Steve Rinella on, I figured a, a quote by Teddy Roosevelt was appropriate. Of all the questions which can come before this nation, short of the actual preservation of its existence in a great war, there is none with which compares in importance with the great central task of leaving this land even a better land for our descendants than it has been for us. From Teddy Roosevelt. What a man, that guy has some great sayings. All right, hang on. Steve Ranella joins us on Woods and Water, South Carolina, and you're going to enjoy it. See you on the other side of the break. Welcome back to Woods and Water, South Carolina. I am constantly amazed at both the people I meet while I'm out as part of Woods and Water, South Carolina, and, and the people who donate time to this show. And uh, my guest today, I, I first met him at the North American Deer Summit in Louisville, Kentucky, May 7th, 2015. He was the keynote speaker, and he great, gave a great address at dinner that night. And I actually went back and listened to it because Steve Ranella is joining us again on Woods and Water, South Carolina. Steve, thanks for taking a few minutes and being on the show. Thank you for having me on. That was a great that was a great address you gave that night. And if anybody's got time, 31 minutes, they need to go listen to it. Man, that was a long time ago, right? <laughs> I'm an old man. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a long time ago, but, you know, it's, it's one of those moments. I mean, you were sitting in the back of the room. I came in the door. I was trying to figure out where to sit, and we just started talking. And I knew who you were, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of a little nervous talking to you and all. But we started talking about bear hunt, and and you ended up saying, "Hey, if you want a good bear hunt, you need to go to the Chugach Mountains in Alaska and uh, just get up above the tree line, walk a creek above the tree line, and there's bears everywhere." And I'm like, "This is a good guy, even though he is from Michigan." <laughs> <laughs> well, look, starting off this thing, meat eater. Everybody knows meat eater. The show. Talk about the evolution of Meat Eater for just a minute, where it started and where it is today. Yeah, uh, Meat Eater started out as simply as a TV show. Um, I think it was back in 2010, maybe, around 2010. Yeah, yep. 2011, I did a show on Travel Channel. We did like an eight-episode series right. on Travel Channel. And coming out of that, the production company that I made that with, uh, 0.0 Production, coming out of that, we wanted to make a show that we owned ourselves. And so we started... Uh, media there's a tv show and we we're now um we're editing our eighth season we've made wow. uh, over 100 episodes of media uh three of those seasons so you know close to 50 episodes live on netflix and right. we'll have more going up on netflix soon and uh um and then since then we launched the podcast and then got into a bunch of other things so now we have uh you know Meat Eater Inc., so to speak, has a, a network of um, five podcasts now, and we have a, a website that has a lot of daily content that goes up at TheMeatEater.com, um, a lot of daily hunting, fishing, conservation, and culinary material. And we do books, so we've done a number of books with Random House. And so kind of a, a, well-rounded, um, a well-rounded outdoor media 
enterprise is what is what the TV show has gradually morphed into. And it's been a great thing to see. I mean, you've got April Vokey writing fishing articles for you. You've got, and it's taken probably taking a lot of the load off of you. I mean, you probably got more time to to manage this whole thing now, don't you? No, I feel like I have less time all <laughs> less time all the time. I'm gone a lot, you know, and it, it, it's a lot of, you know, I don't I don't want to call it work, but sure. it, yeah, it's a lot of, it, it, yeah, I guess yeah, it is work. It's a lot of work. It is work, and um, yeah, it's fun and rewarding, and I still get to spend some time out. Yeah, um, things were really great. Like a few years ago, you know, we were making 16 episodes of TV a year. Yeah, um, and that just wasn't sustainable, man. You know, I have young kids. Right, married, uh, doing 16 shows a year was brutal so i've slowed that down a little bit and trying to not travel quite as much but i'm still on the road all the time we just did a live we just did a live podcast tour and did 12 cities yep and, you know and that turns into a lot of days gone so yeah we always have stuff going on um you know but in in more and more i'm focused now like i like to have time on the weekends to take to get out in the to get out in the woods or on the water with my kids you know and that's that's yeah. a priority of mine but yeah, man, we're uh, you know we're up and cranking, and it's good to have other other content contributors that I work with because it helps put and more material out. Yeah, and they're all good in their own field, you know. They really are. Yeah, no, we, we yeah we, we got a we got a pretty we got a pretty solid team, and it's a team that we're growing. Yeah. Well, let's uh, we we talked about how to do this, and and nothing going to be political here or controversial here, but it's just going to be fun. Uh, here's Steve Rinella and here's what he likes to do. So let's, let's get this off. All right. We, we, you just, you just talked about it. You started out with media to TV and now you got the podcast and all that you love to do. What do you like better? The TV show or the podcast side? Man. Um, well, that's, that's really tough. <laughs> I enjoy, let me put this, I enjoy recording the podcast more because I'm always learning a lot because we have great guests on. So the actual act of doing it, I yeah. enjoy the act of doing it more. But I get to see, I get to hear cooler things doing the podcast, and I get to see cooler things filming the show. So that's it, 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 it's uh it's not a it's not a great answer for you. Sorry. Oh no, it's a great answer. I'm too torn. I'm too I'm, I'm too torn between the two of them. <laughs> But that's good because because I, if you come up here and go, oh man, I hated the meat eater side of things and I love the podcast. Side, but that would have been bad. Yeah, I can tell you that I really uh, I've never liked. You know, I've written a lot of books, man. I've yep. never liked. I've never liked writing books. Really, I like having gotten. No, I like getting them done, but yeah. I do not like the act of doing. I do not like the act of doing it. Misery. <laughs> but you've written like seven or eight now, right? Six of them, yeah. Misery. Actually, doing them is misery, but there's nothing better than getting them done. You know. Well, I mean that that leads me to one of the other questions out of here. What was the favorite? All right, so it, misery. We'll we'll preface this with writing books is misery for Steve Rinella. But yeah, what was the least miserable book you wrote? Uh, my book, American Buffalo. What's that I was about? Really now? able to focus on it. Oh, it's a, you know it's a kind of a history of buffalo or bison, you know, in this country. And it's centered around a couple of things. I found a skull up in the mountains one time. Okay. Kind of a lot about that animal. And then it's also about when I drew a limited draw permit to hunt the Copper River in Alaska. There's a, yes. there's a buffalo herd up there. Yes. And so it tells that story, but it's also the story of the animal from, you know, the ice ages into the future even. But I, I enjoyed it because I was able to really focus on it. Um, I had already done a book, so I kind of knew what I was doing. 
I was able to spend a couple of years doing the research. It was just a really pleasant time. Um, and, and it was kind of my favorite. It's my favorite book that I've read. That, uh, that Bisoner, I have a buddy that lives in Glen Allen. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and he's all around that. So that that's uh what is that, an August hunt? No, it's a, hell, I think you get like eight months or something. Oh, do you? <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, it runs all through the winter, you know. No, it's a long, it's a long season. I did it in October. Okay. It was a good month to do it. But, yeah, you, you, I think it's like you get like a, it's an eight- or nine-month window. Yeah, you get plenty <laughs> of opportunities. A lot of guys will go in March, you know. Yeah. Well, it's funny because he lives there, and then I was just at a, a turkey hunt down here in South Carolina for uh, mobility-impaired hunters, and there was a, one of the guides there that I met last year. His buddy got drawn from one. His buddy lives here and got drawn for that hunt, and they went up and spent like a month up there doing their hunt. They got a nice bull. Yep. Man, I tell you, every year I got a buddy that draws that thing. Now my brother got one there. My butt, uh, One of our hunting buddies got one there. Another one of our buddies got one there. Another buddy's got, got it this year. <laughs> you know, every year they give out about 20 tags. So, yeah. Um, so my social circle's been involved in that. I was the first one, but now since then, my, it's people in my social social. What am I trying to say? Social circle <laughs> has been... Uh, that's not normally a tongue twister for me. No, it's have not. Been, uh, have, been, have been pretty lucky in there. Gotcha. Do they all call you for advice? No, man. I wrote a whole book about it. So it's available for anyone to find out. I kind of blew that spot up, man. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. Going back to the podcast, who is Janice? Tell us about the Latvian Eagle. Yeah, Janice, Janice Poodlis. Yes. His real name is Janice Poodlis. Okay. And uh, oddly... Kind of coincidentally, he went to high school with my wife. So when I met uh, my wife, she always say, "There's only one guy I've ever met that you know hunts as much as you do." And it was this guy Giannis from high school. And it was always in one ear and out the other. I never paid, you know, I never paid that much attention to it. <laughs> and one day I'm looking at a hunting magazine and I see a picture of a dude, and it said like Giannis Putellis glasses the Colorado high country. And I was like, "That's the guy my wife was talking about." So. He had, he had moved up to Alaska, and we were filming up in Alaska and hired him to carry a backpack for us. Okay. He agreed to come on a sheep hunt carrying a backpack. He didn't realize he was being paid. He just thought he was going to fun. <laughs> and now he's our producer. So we've got, we're kind of, yeah, we've got a long history together now. But yeah, he, he, you know, he was hanging out with my wife when, you know, before we started, earlier you and I were talking about, you know, your daughter. Sure high school social circles and all that. Yeah. Well, that was, yeah, that was, that was, uh, Giannis and my wife were like hanging around when they were 13, 14 years old. And now I spend more time with you. I hate to say this, but I spend more time with Giannis than I do with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. You can defend that because he's probably got a good, a lot of good information on your wife. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah. So I'm able to go to him when I need to get some dirt on her. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and we travel a lot together, man. So he co-hosts the podcast. Yeah, and he and he produces our TV show and directs the episodes. Yeah, Funny. and he's he's from my same home state. He's from Michigan. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, he he left when he you know as soon as he could got out of high school, moved out moved out to Colorado and became a started guiding fishing yeah. and guiding elk hunters, and now he's done guiding and just works with us. But yeah, we got we got a handful of guys in our crew that. Um, handful of guys on our team that all came out of a dieting background, which is which is pretty fun because they got a lot of expertise. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a good it's a good set of, a good skill set, and, and a lot of good stories to boot. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Well, let's. Uh, I, I know we uh, 
I, I know a lot about you, and I'm sure a lot of people listening know about a lot about you, and, and we know you love Alaska and Montana, but if you had to pick your favorite place to be, would it be Alaska or Montana? Like if I had to pick and I could only hunt in one the rest of my life or hunt and fish in one the yeah, rest of my life? sure. Well, I live in Montana, so I know. Like that. Uh, but man, I, don't, I mean, I got I got a cabin in Alaska. My brother lives up there. I love it up there. Uh, I, I love spending time. It'll be very difficult for me to make some to make some kind of arrangement in which I didn't hang out there anymore. Um, what? Boy, I'd probably have to go Alaska because it's like like so many of my most formative experiences were up there. You know, I really like it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun being up there, um, and it's challenging to be up there. You know, you got to. You learn, it forces you to really learn a lot. You know, you, you still need to be hanging out in Alaska. You know, you still need to be like a good woodsman. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, you still need to just know how to take care of yourself and know how to make the right kind of decisions and and how to be, you know, and you, there's a lot of demands where you need to be, you need to have exercise, good spatial awareness. Uh, there's a lot of things that you can get out, you know, there's a lot of areas in the country where you can just kind of become like a, you can become pretty passive, but still be a pretty good hunter because you're in the right area. You know, yeah. you got the right spot, you got the right permission, whatever. But in Alaska, it's demanding. You, know, you still need to be. You still need to have your game right. You know, not every time, not every minute, but to consistently to be able to consistently do trips up there and be successful on your own. You know, doing like do-it-yourself kind of yeah. hunting. Um, yeah, you need to have. You need to bring a lot. You need to bring a lot. Uh, there's not a terrible amount of there's not too many shortcuts up there so i really like that and, and i'd like to think that you know when my kids grow up i'd like to think that they'd be the kind of that they'd have that level of competence where they could go up there on their own and figure stuff out it's an incredible place i took both taylor and i took jordan in 2011 and i took taylor last august up to alaska and we spent like 10 or 11 days just rving around the country and uh two of the best times i've ever had in my life and to watch them come out of the shell i mean living in south carolina we've got woods and they go out and hunt with me and they go fishing with me and all that but but to be in alaska with the bears because on the russian river you're going to see bears every time you're there uh hiking i mean you you realize you're six seven miles back in there and there's no cell coverage you got to be careful and to realize when you're in a situation jordan and i were walking down the side of a river one day and the willows kind of closed in around us, a little tunnel through there and all. And the next thing, there's bear scat in front of us. And I'm like, I don't think we need to be in here. And, and Jordan was really the first one to say, Dad, uh, <laughs> kind of spooky in here. So you're right. Alaska, it'll teach you some things about, about being outdoors. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's, uh, let's take a short break here. Go to the bottom of the hour. Uh, let Steve take a drink of whatever he's got. And uh, we'll be back with more uh, with Steve Renella. Hang on for more Woods and Water, South Carolina. Right now I'm on this lake shore And I'm sitting in the sun I'm sure it'll hit me Welcome back to Woods and Water, South Carolina And welcome back, Steve Ranella, meat eater, to the radio show uh, Doing a little kind of fun thing today what do you like more and why? Going to mix it up, though, because I don't want to get in a rut. Steve, you're a great storyteller. Uh, I've listened to you tell stories and all. One, 
give us your scariest outdoor situation and all the hunting you've done from you know childhood till now is there one you can point out and say that was the one where i really didn't know if i was gonna make it yeah the one that's most fresh in my head is the last thing i had that you know the most recent thing i have that, that shook us up pretty good and it, it was well over a year ago now but we were hunting in um we're on a Farbenack Island up in Alaska, right. which is, you know, uh, you know, if you're looking at a map that isn't too detailed, it almost looks like a Farbenack and Kodiak Island are the same thing, but okay. it's actually straight that separates the Farbenack from Kodiak. Okay. But it's got that same population, just giant bears, you know. <laughs> and we had killed an elk and hung a bunch of the meat up, and packed a bunch of the meat out, but then hung a bunch of the meat in a tree. And it was a couple of days until we got back there to get the rest of it. While we were under that tree, we got attacked by a, got attacked by a big brown bear and uh man it was harrowing you know just so fast man like that teeth just the big all of a sudden i was aware of these big yellow teeth just passing them like 18 inches in my face oh my goodness and my buddy hit it with a one of the guys i was with hit it with a trekking pole <laughs> he had pepper spray he had a pistol on his backpack but you know when that all of a sudden happens you spend your whole life not your whole life but i spent a lot of my years Every time about what they're going to do when the bear is sure. during a bear attack and what the plan is. Mm-hmm. Here's what you're supposed to do and not do. And, man, the minute it happens, it happens so fast, all that just unravels, man. But he smacks it across the face of the tracking pole, and the bear comes around. I got my ankle pretty twisted up. And then another guy I was with got run over by the bear and fell on the bear's back and actually rolled the bear down the hill into the alders. And I thought the bear had him. Oh, my I thought, goodness. I thought the bear was carrying him, but he's just, like, riding his hump. So the, he disappears down the alders and comes squirting back up, and then that bear comes woofing, you know, woofing back up around us. By then we had our we had our situation together, and we, were, you know, had our pistols drawn and bear spray out and everything, but never got another look at the bear. But my God, man, for just a couple minutes, it was seconds, you know, sure, for a couple seconds, you're just in the situation where you just like life will never be the same after. It's like it's just how it was like in that couple seconds that that happened. It's hard to picture all of us coming out of that all right. And it left me pretty shook up, you know, Yeah. in a lot of ways, primarily because, like I said, you know, I've been in some mix-ups with bears and been charged by bears before, but um, just funny that, you know, you, you think you got it dialed and you think you know your what your response is going to be and how you're going to behave in that moment, and then that moment comes and you're nothing like you think you are, you know. At least most people aren't like what they think they're like. Good gracious alive. So the bear found the meat, obviously. And- yeah, he found it. We could never tell, you know, we were looking down on the ground there when we got there, and I could never tell if he had actually, I don't know if he had gotten in there and we spooked him off. If I had to guess, that's probably what happened. Yeah. If not, it was a coincidence that he found it, <laughs> you know, that he happened to find it at the minute we were under there, because we weren't under there long. My, my, you know, the best I could tell is he probably found it, and it was up in the tree, and he couldn't get at it. And we spooked him off coming in, and then he drifted back in, coming downwind on us. And I think he was as scared as we were, right? Sure. I don't think he anticipated, because we got a whole film crew, right? So there's six of us under that tree, super thick brush. I have to think that he didn't, if it was one of us, he'd be deader than bad, right? But I think he come rolling in there, and six people come boiling off the ground. <laughs> and I imagine it scared the, scared him pretty good, too. He might, he might be thinking, what have I walked into here? <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, he's probably thinking he's going to run in there and whatever. You know, he, how many times has he done that to other bears, right? Sure. Stolen carcasses, 
I don't know how many times. I'm sure that more than a handful of carcasses he's stolen over his years. Man. Um, but I bet he's never running out of a crew of six people <laughs> running around screaming, swinging poles. <laughs> and one of them riding his back down the mountain. <laughs> oh, yeah. He probably left. He probably was more shook up than we were. But it was, I'm telling you, man, then we had to get all that elk meat down out of that tree and walk out of there. And it's thick alders, you know. Uh, and then we know a guy that the next year drew that same tag and he got mauled. Really? Pretty Yeah, he got mauled pretty bad. They killed the bear. But he got real tore up and wound up in a wound up in a hospital down in San Diego for quite a while. Uh, wow. Had to get medevaced out. He got really ripped up. We got a bunch of pictures of him Goodness. when that bear got off him. But yeah, that's a that's a limited draw elk permit. Anybody can do it. Any of your listeners, you know, you don't need to be a resident. You right. Just put in for it and draw a fognac elk. But <laughs> you get it, you better watch. <laughs> yeah, when I was talking about spatial awareness. Yes. Yes. It'll test it. It'll, It'll test, test it. it. Goodness gracious. All right, folks, I'm sure none of you have ever had that experience before. Whoa. Um, all right, this is going to take you back to your, your childhood in, in Michigan and trapping and all. What's your favorite critter to trap, and why is it so much fun for you? Now I like trapping beavers. You know, I used to trap a lot of muskrats. We didn't have – the area I was in wasn't great for beavers. You had to go quite a bit north of us to really get in them good. Okay. Um. But, yeah, I liked it. You know, it was always cool to find it because I would always admired, you know, the, 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 the mountain men and, you know, of course, pre-mountain men, you had like, the, you know, the, the long hunters like Daniel Boone and those guys were big beaver trappers. Sure. So there's a little bit of nostalgia there. And, and now we'll catch beavers. And the reason I like trapping beavers now is, uh, you know, the hide's great, so we'll, we'll get hats made. And, you know, a lot of people in my family will get hats for them made and the kids all want beaver mittens and, and um, we give them away as gifts, you know, hats and mittens and stuff made, scarves made out of the fur. But also, they're pretty good to eat. Huh. So that's the only thing I really—that's the only thing I really focus on now. Is every spring we'll trap a handful of beavers and get the hides tanned and turned into stuff, and then put the meat in the freezer and do different things with the meat. So that's what I like to focus on now. When I was a kid, you know, uh, my favorite thing to catch—the the thing I'd try most hard to go catch—was to get river otters. Okay. Uh, which were difficult, you know, and there's a quota on them, but that was kind of the thing. Like, if you, I always felt you could catch an otter, you were, you know, you were dialed in, you knew what you were doing. But um, most of my energy was muskrats, and now the only thing I really focused on catching would be we'll go out and catch, like I said, every spring we'll catch a couple beavers. I like to keep it, I like to keep at it just because I want my kids to be exposed to it and learn that skill set. Sure. It's funny you bring up the otter because there's a, a chapter in Meat Eater it talks about trapping and all, and it talks about when you caught that otter. You remember yeah. that? Oh, yeah. Tell us in, in just a minute. It's like, a bit of youth, like, it's like youth, youthful indiscretion, man. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think everybody, you know, most people that grew up, like, it, it kind of depends. You know, I say that because, like, most people that grow up do a lot of hunting and fishing. Um, you know, I think that learning how to appreciate wildlife management and learning how to, like, have some respect for the rules of play, right? right. Some of that stuff learned. Like, if you're a little kid and you just didn't really grow up around it, you grew up around people who played pretty fast and loose, you know, you, you just you become influenced by that and you only learn it later. I say that now because I, now I raise my kids to be, like, very aware. We spend a lot of time talking about the rules. Sure. You know, the hunt rules. Yes. But, my, you know, my dad, he was old when he had me. My dad was born during the Great Depression, man. Right. Um, my, dad was born, my dad was born in 1924. Right? My dad fought in World War II, had me when he was 50 years old. So I was raised by a person who, age-wise, 
should have been my grandfather. grandfather. And people from that, you know, people from that era just had sort of a different view. Um, you know, he looked and he figured whatever, you know, he figured I'm allowed this many deer and it shouldn't really be your business how I get them. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so you grew up around that. You learn those lessons, right? Um, and it was only, it was only gradually that I, that I learned to do that. But yeah, you know, I would sometimes let my desire to be successful, um, at whatever endeavor I was in, I would let my desire to be successful trump my, you know, desire to, to adhere to the rules of play. And, and I talk about that pretty openly in my book and, and yeah. some of the lessons there and, and ways in which I feel like, you know, some of that was misguided and try not to be, you know, I try not to be like nostalgic about it too much and talk about that that was a good thing or a bad thing, but just a reality, right? Like sure. a lot of people grew up in the outdoors you know, you, you didn't you didn't always adhere to the to the to the playbook. Yeah. And now I've gotten to a level of maturity and insight, been around enough to know that it's pretty essential that we do do that for a handful of reasons: one, to protect the resources, and two, to protect the privileges. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know we had. I know you said one. You got you got a few more minutes to go yet? Oh yeah, man. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. We haven't talked about it much. Fishing. I know you fish. Uh, freshwater salt water. Last two days, man. <laughs> oh, gosh, I don't want to hear know, that. <laughs> salt, probably salt water. Even though I, you know, I live in Montana, right? There's no sure. salt water around here, but right. but I really like salt water fishing. I'll tell you why I like salt. There's, there's a mystery to salt water fishing. Oh, it is. I mean, you know, you know, freshwater fishing. Yeah, I love it, right? I do, and I spend more days fishing freshwater than salt. Okay. But we're up at a cabin fishing salt, or anytime we're out in the ocean. I mean, it's like you just don't know. When you get a hit, you can't even begin to fathom like what it could be, right? There's what you're after, but there's, there's so much mystery. Yes. Yeah. And in salt water, you can catch fish and be like, you know, frankly, I don't know what that fish is. <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> there's something to be said for that, you know, just a mystery, man. Yeah, if, um, you're, if you're going trout fishing, you're pretty much going to tri- catch trout, maybe a creek chub here or there. Uh, you go brim exactly, fishing. But, you know, you get out, yeah. Oh, yeah. You get out in 300 feet of water. Yeah. And salt. And you lower some kind of bait down there at the bottom. It's like, who knows? Open and, season. And I really like that mystery. And I like the size of those fish, you know. There's some big fish in the ocean, man. Oh, yeah. Pretty exciting. Yeah. If I had to take one or the other, yeah, I would, I would, I would, I would, I would go salt, but, uh, reluctantly. Reluctantly. Yeah, we're, uh, is one of the last things we're going to do before Jordan gets married is we're going to, gonna get down to charleston and i think we're gonna run out to i don't know 20 30 miles out maybe and and the, right now the spanish mackerel are out there the bonita are out there the sheep's head are out there and the redfish any, the, well, anything's out there yeah so that, and that's why i really started doing a lot of saltwater fishing the same as you i like the yes i can target a species if i want to but if i'm soaking a shrimp under a cork it could be who knows or if i'm sinking a piece of of a squid to the bottom, you just never know. Yeah, it's always fun. fun. It's fun, and there's some great fisheries, like some great freshwater fisheries. We used to we, we used to spend some time fishing the Delaware River. Yeah, you know, I remember I caught like nine species of game fish out of one stretch of river, right? Which is yeah. pretty, which is uh, you know, which is pretty surprising. But uh, yeah, salt, salt, salt. I'm going salt. Going salt. Okay, all right. Ah, uh, let's see here now. What? Let give me the Steve Ranella definition of fair chase. 
Oh man, you know, I'm just, I don't know that I can do it. Okay, <laughs> I, pass. I, it's like I can tell you, um, you just kind of know, you, you know it when you see it. You know, I think it's like so much comes down to, so much of it comes down to whatever you know what your personal mission is, right? Right. Um, and, and it's hard to make quick definitions because every no matter what you're doing, like there's everything has its own challenges. So I can't sit here and say that like fair chase is this and fair chase is not that. There's an interesting concept in wildlife management and the way we think about things would be like it's almost better to think about fair share is almost, you know, a better thing to wrestle with when it comes to, you know, our, our, what we do as hunters and anglers, because when certain practices, um, when certain practices enable people to be so efficient that they gobble up or dominate a resource, and it becomes that, that that resource is very limited for everybody else. There's not enough for anybody else to have a chance to have an opportunity, right? Yeah. Like, that that's a dangerous place to be. But I can't sit and tell you that, like, oh, archery is more fair chase than rifle, because it's pretty easy archery hunts, man. And there's oh, yeah. really difficult rifle hunts out there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I get asked a lot, like, shooting, like, what's too far? And, and it's hard to even come up with. I can't, I can't put a number to it. Yeah. Uh, but I'll tell you this, if, when you pull the trigger, if you're curious about whether you're going to hit or not, it's too far. Too far. See, folks. There's uncertainty. Like, I don't know. Let's try it out and see what happens. That's too far. Yeah. Okay. But I can't throw a number at you because people's skill sets are different. I know people that have no business shooting 200 yards. <laughs> and I know people who are extremely proficient at five. Yeah. So, you know, it's just like it's so situational. You just have to look at what people are doing. Um, when I go out, you know, if I go out squirrel hunting, we get onto a squirrel. Uh, I don't know. I, I have a pretty high degree of certainty sometimes that we're going to get that squirrel. Does that mean it's not fair chase? <laughs> it's, it's just real. it's really difficult, man. It's really difficult. I think there's people that want to find these kind of easy definitions, but it's just situational. It's just, you have to look at things situationally. And, and I think a lot of times when we have this conversation, we're talking about technology and technology is something we're going to have to watch really carefully. Yes. If we push it up to where, like traditionally, you know, uh, where I'm at, like archery hunters would traditionally have a 10 or 20% success rate on elk. Right. If technology pushes that to where we have a 70 or 80% success rate on elk with archery equipment, not that we're even close to that, but let's say that were to happen, that's a lot less elk tags. Oh, yeah. A lot less, lot fewer people getting a chance to go out and, and, and have a shot at the resource. So these are the kind of questions we need to wrestle with when we start talking about, like, fair chase and what does it mean and what are the implications for us people if you if you want to know why you need to listen to meat eater podcast it's that right there because you're going to get a different take than you ever thought you would get no thanks man good stuff good stuff um oh boy man (laughs) all right favorite critter to pursue if you're at if you got your chance of of going hunting for whatever animals out there tags not a problem uh it, if, if the opportunity presents you're going no matter what what is that animal you know if you told me that i could only for the rest of my life hunt mule deer and squirrels i'd be uh i'd be okay with it okay <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be pretty comfortable i like mule deer i just like hunting big open country you know and i like 
when when everything's right, you're seeing like a lot of bucks in any given day. You know, there's a chance of a real whopper being out there, and mm-hmm. kind of out where you can see a long ways and hunt the sage flats. And the, you know, I love it, man. I love it. But then I like the the kind of like that's a slow game hunting mule deer hunting, especially if you're trying to find a big mule deer. It's a slow game. Okay, it takes a lot of time, and there's a lot of days when nothing happens. But if you can balance that out with some squirrel action where things are hot and, you know, hot and fast and furious, then I'd be a pretty <laughs> happy dude. Now, if I, if you, let's say you limited me down to mule deer and squirrels, and then I had to pick one or the other, I'd go with mule deer because I don't mind eating eat mule deer every day, and okay. I don't know that I want to say that I'm going to raise a family on squirrel meat. <laughs> <laughs> but I could pull it off. <laughs> of course you could. Well, see, and see, that, that, answers, that answers another question, mountains or plains. If you're picking mule deer because you like the wide open spaces, I would assume you'd pick plains for a place to hunt then. Yeah, I like hunting oak, yeah. Tundra, plains, yeah. I like I love hunting the mountains, but yeah, I like that kind of mixed zone, you know. Okay. Where the I guess where the mountains meet the plains is what I would pick. <laughs> gotcha. Kind of hedging there on me. Uh, <laughs> uh gosh. This is good. Okay, here we go. You're gonna love this one because I pulled this one off the podcast the other day. Game of Thrones or Live PD? What's Live PD? <laughs> oh, no. He doesn't know what Live PD is. Oh, gosh. Okay. I'll give you a pass on that one. I got, plus, I got, I got, to, I got to jump off, though. Uh, but what's Live, what's live PD? I got, to, I got to call him. Okay. Live PD, Friday and Saturday nights on A&E. It's got like six or seven police departments, and you're like cameraman in the car in with the policemen doing everything they do. Yeah, check it out. Oh, it's fun. It's cops. Yeah. It's cops I've on never steroids. Watched, I've, never, I've never watched it either. <laughs> well, that was a good one. Well, man, look, I, I appreciate you. How do people find you? Internet, podcast, how do they get oh, a hold yeah, of go, you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram, you know, at Stephen Ranella. Okay. Good place. Or go to themeateater.com and you'll always find me there. Steve, man, I appreciate it. I'll look to catch up with you soon, and thanks for doing this for me, man. Take care, man. See you. You know, Director Alvin Taylor just retired from the Department of Natural Resources after many, many years. Wanted you to hear his address at the opening of Sassafras Mountain Observatory. Our last speaker is certainly not least and probably needs no introduction to many of you, but Director Alvin Taylor is going to come up and share a few comments with us. Um, he's crazy, if nothing else, when his staff walk into the office and say, we want to build a million-dollar tower and we don't have any money. And he looks at us and goes, sounds like a great idea. Go for it. So... <laughs> We couldn't have done it without his support. Thank you, Emily. Um, you know, it is a great day, and, and we've all echoed the same sentiments on what a great place, what a beautiful place, what a wonderful day, and it is all of those things. Um, I will go back and I will say thank you for all of our partners. As everyone has spoken today, you can truly see that anything like this only takes place with a lot of people with a common goal, working together, continuing to drive to get things done and that's what's happened here you know i was on the ride up here i started out this morning at sea level so if i fall over the rail someone grabbed me um but as i was riding up today you know i was thinking wonder what it was like when that first group of people sat around a table and said let's build a tower on the top of sassafras mountain 
and then what they told their families when they left to go home. Well, you know, you got to wonder, you know, how can we do this and how is this going to happen? So I would like to have known some of those comments after that first meeting that day. But I will tell you that, um, you know, we at DNR aim to cover our mission and all we're doing, but it's really about an outdoor experience. It's really about giving our citizens, not only here in South Carolina, but also across this great country of ours, opportunity to come to South Carolina and have a great outdoor experience. And I don't think anyone that comes up here and leaves won't go back saying, gosh, what a great experience. And, and, and because we're so blessed. We've heard that. We're so blessed here in South Carolina. I often talk about those special places we have here in our state. And I'll go somewhere and I'll look at it and I'll say, man, this is a special place. And then this is the most special place. And then I'll go and i go somewhere else and I'll say, wow, this is a special place. How can it get any better? So I stand up here and I look around and say, I don't know that we can find it any better than, than this special place. Back 44 years ago, as a student at Clemson University, I think I was probably a sophomore at the time, struggling to get through. And um, coming from Marion County, in the lower part of the state, I had a good friend that, that I was in school with said, I'm going to show you something. I said, what's that? He says, we're going to Sassafras. And I said, how do you spell that? <laughs> yeah. What is a sassafras? He said, I want to show you. So I got to looking around a little bit and talking to people. The only thing I found anything out about sassafras was sassafras tea. So, you know, here we are. We, we, we took off early one Saturday morning. We came and we walked and we walked and I thought I was going to die. <laughs> and we got up here somewhere very close to where we are right now. I couldn't tell you exactly where we are. And I looked out. Um, through the trees, and there were campsites around where people had been, and you could tell people visited, but, but probably not that often. And I looked out, and to this day, to the time I woke up this morning, from a tobacco field in Man County, that sight of what I looked out on has been ingrained in my, in my mind. And I think that's what people are going to see when they come here. And it's just, it's just a great day. Many partners. Um, wish we could name every name on every brick because they contributed just as much trying to help us to, to complete this project. Great staff. Um, I can't sit down without thanking Tom Swangham. Tom, raise your hand. Tom's been chasing this rabbit for many a year now, trying to make sure we got this done, and we crossed the finish line, and we got to today. So, Tom, thank you. Thank your staff. So here we are. In just a little bit, we'll cut the ribbon, and we'll get the opportunity to look out on, on what might be, certainly near the top, one of God's greatest creations given to us here on this earth. And so we thank God for that, and thank all of you for being here, and everyone that's played a part in this, thank you so much. You know, Director Taylor did a lot for South Carolina in his tenure as the director, in his years working for the Department of Natural Resources. And uh, hope he enjoys retirement and his grandkids. He's earned it. Thanks for listening. As always, make time to get outside. Take the back roads when you can. And don't forget the camera. Back next week with more Woods and Water, South Carolina. Three 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.